Okay, apple butter. Um, do you know how to buck apples? How to what apples? <clears throat> buck apples? Yeah. Oh, like like how horses buck? Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay, I'll ask her. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 17 years, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain, also a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles. On this podcast, we talk about what it's like to be writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. Happier in Hollywood is all about how to survive and thrive no matter where you are or what you do. In this episode, we'll talk about how to make the most of an almost universal scourge, your daily commute. And we're going to talk to one of our favorite actresses and human beings, Felicia Day, about her unconventional road to success and happiness in Hollywood. If you're not already one of Felicia's 2.9 million Twitter followers, you will be after today because she is pure geeky goodness. And then we'll have our weekly Hollywood hack. It's something every actor in town is doing, and we think you should, too. Okay, Sarah, let's jump into the segment we call From the Treadmill Desks Of, where we talk about what's pressing in our work psyches this week. And this week, what's pressing is getting to work and getting home. Commuting. It's hell. At least it can be. It is for me. Yes, I should say this is really more pressing on your work psyche than mine. My commute is definitely longer on the three days a week that we're going to Paramount, but it's still not bad. It's, you know, half an hour or less. For you, though, it's rough, and you don't really like to drive in the first place. No, I hate to drive. That's a whole topic unto itself. I don't know if we've talked <laughs> about on this podcast how you drove me around the first four, four years. <laughs> years we were living in Los Angeles. Um, thank you for that, by the way. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, oh, I hate driving. Uh, I don't like driving on freeways. I'm like white-knuckled the whole time. Even now, I mean, I'm better, but I still really don't like it. As you know, because I'll anytime we're going somewhere we've never been before, I'll drive to your house. And you'll, and then I drive, yes. drive. <laughs> And now it's like an hour commute each way. And, it, and it's fighting traffic. It's not just driving. It's like, you know, fighting for spot on the road. It's just awful. An hour means you don't qualify as an extreme commuter. Extreme commuter is people who commute two hours or more each way. Um, There was an article in the New York Times about that recently, and we'll put it up on our website, happierinhollywood.com. But you're still spending a lot of time in your car. So just some statistics on commuting. 143 million Americans commute. Commutes are 20% longer than they were in 1980. Hmm. And L.A., where we live, is the most congested city in the United States. Lucky Uh, us. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it can be absolutely soul-crushing. There was actually an article in the Washington Post that was super illuminating about commutes. I just want to read a couple short paragraphs from it. Nobel laureate Daniel Kahneman and economist Alan Kruger asked a group of 900 Texas women to rate how they felt during various daily activities and found that the morning commute came in dead last in terms of positive emotions (laughs) behind work, 
childcare, and home chores. There's a massive body of social science and public health research on the negative effects of commuting on personal and societal well-being. Longer commutes are linked with increased rates of obesity, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, back and neck pain, divorce, depression, and death. Jeez, so I'm not wrong in hating my computers. You are spot on. I will say my blood sugar has gone up since we've started working at Paramount because I'm definitely exercising less, spending more time in the car. So I'm a type 1 diabetic, as I'm sure I've mentioned numerous times. Well, and there is a big difference between commuting in a car and commuting, like a lot of people commute on trains, on the subway. Yes, on bicycles. There's a big difference between being a car commuter and that kind of commute. You have yes. a lot less freedom. Yeah, I think there are people who commute on trains and buses um, and bikes even who really enjoy it. It's sort of their time. Um, you can do what you want, spread out, get emails done, read a book, but it's hard when you're driving. Right. No, when you're on a train, it- I mean, it almost extends your workday, whether that's good or bad, right. who knows. But like you could add, if you're an extreme commuter on a train, you can add two hours to your workday just doing stuff on your computer. Yeah, that's true. Now, Sarah, we're all about solutions, though. We yes, don't want to just sit here and vent about and my awful commute. I mean, I have a great job. I get to work on the Paramount lot. You know, it's okay that I have to drive. Right. Not that that'll stop me from complaining about it to you, of course. Um, so the question is, what do we do to make that time valuable? And I mean, I know the thing that's helped me more than anything. I'll give you one guess. Podcasts. Podcasts. It's not even a question. Yes. <laughs> Podcasts have changed my life. Yes. Listening to podcasts is a great way to deal with a commute. Obviously, we're biased on the subject. We love podcasts. But we thought it would be fun for each of us to recommend three podcasts our listeners might not know about if they you know, want to try something new on their commute. If they, yes, want to suffer less during yes. that time in the car. Um, okay, so Liz, you're up first. Yeah, well, okay. Well, of course, we have to start by saying um, we recommend Happy Earth, Gretchen Rubin, and Side Hustle School, which are two other Onward Project podcasts. Yes. Um, but my recommendations for today are Ear Hustle, Buy the Book, and Juicy Scoop. So I'll just tell you briefly, Ear Hustle is a new podcast that's actually all recorded in San Quentin. So it's by prisoners with the help of an outside producer. Um, and it talks all about prison life. And it, it's just really fascinating. And there's a lot of humanity. And I really recommend it to anyone. And then, of course, By the Book is a new podcast, which I will mention is hosted by Kristen Meinzer, who is one of our producers and the producer of Happier with Gretchen Rubin. And By the Book, Kristen and her co-host, Jalenta, Follow a different self-help book for two weeks to the letter. And then they (laughs) record themselves doing it. And then they come on the show and they talk about it, the good, the bad, the ugly. It can get really emotional. They did um, Why French Women Don't Get Fat, and it got very emotional. And then my other one is Juicy Scoop, which is hosted by Heather McDonald. And it's just a fun Hollywood podcast. She talks about the Real Housewives and the Kardashians, which, of course, I love. And she interviews people and tells stories. So um, check that out too. Okay, Sarah. So those are my podcasts of the day. What are yours? Okay. So I also have three. My three favorite podcasts to get through my 
albeit not that long commute, are The Longest Shortest Time, which is a parenting show. It's hosted by Hillary Frank from This American Life. I love her voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love every single episode I listen to. And then my second one is Beyond Reasonable Doubt, which is a BBC podcast about a famous murder mystery, and it's brilliant. Uh, and then the last one is an interview podcast called Never Before with Janet Mock. The description is intimate, wide-ranging, and in-depth conversations with the boldest cultural figures of our day. I just really like Janet Mock's interview style. It's very conversational and fun, and she kind of really gets in deep with her subjects. So it's really entertaining to listen to. And then, of course, in addition to podcasts, there's also audiobooks, which that are is very helpful. Thing. I love listening to celebrity memoirs um, <laughs> read by the celebrities. Like one I um, always recommend to people is Rob Lowe's book, Stories I Only Tell My Friends, um, about him growing up in Malibu. It's really fascinating. I also think driving, and I, I struggle with this, I aspire to do this, mm-hmm. um, can be a way to transition from sort of your work day to your home life or vice versa from home to work. You can kind of get in the mentality you need to be in. Yeah. For me, I feel like I don't get that transition time because mm. I'm it, because it isn't long enough. But I know you've talked about kind of that feeling of driving up into the hills and feeling like you're leaving one thing and beginning your life. I do use that time, though, also for phone calls. Like, that's when I kind of call my parents and make mm. family calls. Hands-free, of course. Yes. cannot. I, my mom doesn't even like me to talk on the phone hands-free <laughs> in the car, so I cannot call my parents on my commute because my mom will say, are you driving? But yes, that is another good thing to do if you can do it safely. Yes. So I'm guessing we have some other uh, commuters, Sarah, listening to this podcast, maybe in their car at the moment. Do we have any extreme commuters listening out there? Extreme or not, what gets you through your commute? Leave us a voicemail at 949-HAPPY21 or email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Next up, we talk to the woman Joss Whedon calls one of his personal heroes, actress, writer, and producer Felicia Day. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. So Felicia Day is one of those people who puts the rest of us to shame. She's a hyphenate, which is what we call people in Hollywood who do it all. She's an actress, a writer, a producer, a gamer, an internet maven. Among other things, she created and starred in the award-winning web series The Guild. She starred in Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. You've seen her on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Eureka, Supernatural. And this is most significant to me as the mother of a five-year-old. She is the voice of Pear Butter on My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. This is big. It is big. (laughs) She is also a new mom, so we get to do some baby cuddling today. Yay! Cutest little baby you've ever seen. Okay, so in the introduction to Felicia's memoir, You're Never a Weird on the Internet, Almost, this is what Joss Whedon, who is one of our mentors and a demigod in this town, had to say about her. He said, Felicia has something few of us do. She's fierce. She's more than a self-made woman. I sometimes think she's not a human woman, that she willed herself <laughs> into existence before willing the world to make a place for this new unfathomable creation. Felicia is stronger than I am and stranger than I am, and she double majored in math and violin, which she felt compelled to tell me within five minutes of meeting me. I love her for all these things. Felicia, thank you so much for coming in today. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I just want to start by saying how much I loved your book. I mean, I really loved it. I literally cried when I was reading it. There's a scene about you and your dad and like a bed, bath and beyond. 
bawling. <laughs> um, and it also made me laugh out loud. It's really like so great. And I learned so much about you. Oh, thank you. It's, it was a, lo- it's really a lot of fun. Me. It's a lot yeah. of me. It's yes. like a year of taking take a year <laughs> off and write about yourself. It's a lot of yourself. <laughs> and there are people who would literally kill puppies to have Joss describe them the way that he <laughs> yes. describes you in the foreword. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't want to ask him to write anything. and But the publisher and was like, you know, it'd be really good for the book. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> so I asked him and he literally wrote that while he was doing press for the Avengers. Oh, wow. And so so oh the God. fact that he t- – I was like, what are you doing? I would advise you not to do this for me. <laughs> That's really nice. And he also recorded the audiobook intro, which I w- was kind of – Oh, my God. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, I admire him more than anybody in the world. And the fact that he wrote those beautiful words for me is like, that's a game changer. <laughs> Whenever you feel bad, you can just read that and lift, exactly. lift yourself up. Now yeah. you have that I should read that time. more often, yeah. actually. <laughs> <laughs> so in your book, you say that you are – I think situationally recognizable. Is yes. that the right? <laughs> and I think that's very accurate. It seems like the perfect kind of famous. There are places where you can just like put on a hat and be yourself. There are places where it's like, I think I know her. And then there are places where you're like a rock star. Yeah. I think I think the only better situational fame would be if you were in a Star Trek kind of show mm. and you had the makeup on. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then you can like be famous at your own discretion. Right. So right. it's only places where people know that you're there because they wouldn't recognize you. I think that might be the ideal kind, <laughs> although maybe that's just my fantasy about being a, like a, a Klingon or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, what is it like when you go to Comic-Con? I mean, are you just, do you have to have security? See, people ask me all this all the time, and I'm like, listen, you don't understand me if you think I'm actually <laughs> famous like that. Like, I've walked on the floor with Nathan uh-huh. and, uh-huh. you know, the Supernatural Nathan guys. Nathan uh-huh. Yeah, and they are rock stars. Like, yeah. people, they just, the crowd turns when they, they have, the crush gets near them. People are scrambling to get a piece of them. I'm not like that. I can walk anywhere with anything. I just move like a shark. I don't stop. Uh-huh. If, if oh, one that's more, smart. If you yeah. St- yeah, if you stop, people start to gather and, like, somebody might be there, you know, even people who don't know who you are, like, can I get a picture and who are you? You know, that right. kind of thing. My kind of recognizability is more people will be like, oh, hey, Felicia, hey, nice outfit the other day. Or, Aww. hey, you, you look a little tired. I guess Calliope didn't sleep. So this is weird <laughs> sort of uh, hybrid friendship and yeah. recognition that I, I feel much more comfortable with because I don't want to be admired. I don't have the security, for, self-confidence <laughs> for that. Uh, if I'm inspiring, that's different. But uh, if people putting me on a pedestal or expecting me to look good um, on a daily basis, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Especially when you're a new mom. You don't want to worry about looking good. Oh, forget it. Although no. you happen to look great, by the way. Oh, I appreciate it. I'm trying to hold – I hold my stomach in for the stomach. <laughs> it's not happening right now. And I'm like, why did you wear a white shirt? What are you doing? That's an optical thing. Oh, babies. Uh, all right. Babies. Well, before we get into your multi-hyphenate dub, can you talk a little bit about how you got started as an actress? Because as we said, you were a double major in music and math and it didn't seem like going to Hollywood was an obvious choice. I think, and I don't know if you guys' experience in becoming a Hollywood people uh, is the same, but you can't understand what you're getting into before you get here. No, that's totally. The, ignorance is bliss. Yeah, it we is. We came from you, Kansas City, Missouri. I mean, we had no idea what we were doing. It's very important to not know what you're doing. No, no, yes. no. If you do, you won't do it. <laughs> you, you would not because no. a logical person would be like, this is a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. When anyone asks me, should I do this? I'm like, no, don't do this. <laughs> but we didn't have anyone to ask, yeah. so no, no one told us yeah. not to do it. Well, I did so much because I was homeschooled. So the one thread um, in my life, other than like learning a lot of math because I was bored and playing the violin a lot because I was bored, was uh, doing theater. So everywhere we'd move, because my dad was in the military, everywhere we'd move, I'd just do 
do community theater. And I would be like, Can Can Girl number seven. I was never uh-huh. like the star, but I enjoyed being on that theater set and rehearsing yeah. and, you know, being part of that collaborative process so much that I naively thought, well, that's my true calling, you guys. That really is my true calling. Like my experience as orphan number five and Oliver Twist <laughs> tells me that really I, I need to get these degrees for my parents, but I really am just destined to be an actress. And it was just that sense of like, I have to do this. And I think it, I don't know what it is. Um, my, my aunt was an actress and she went to Broadway briefly and then came back because she had health issues. So I think maybe she encouraged the bug. Nobody pressured me. Nobody really thought, you know, I should do this. I got way away from it in college, but only because I was just checking the box. Okay, I got a real degree, Dad. Bye. Um, So that was a big wake-up call, to be honest with you. (laughs) When you arrived here and then you're like, oh, what do I do now? Well, and everybody's been telling you how pretty and talented you are your Uh, whole life. And then you realize, oh, you're a 4 out of 10 here or uh, whatever, (laughs) you know, in relative terms because you're at the place with the most beautiful people in the world and the most Mm -hmm. talented people in the world who've been working since they were 5 years old. I made a living, but it wasn't very happy living. And that's kind of why after about 5 or 6 years, I decided to start writing because that was something I could do and Instead of just sitting around. <laughs> so that's one of the things we love about you. You completely made your own path here. Like, there are all these kind of ways to get stomped on in this town. And you decided, like, I'm just going to go my own way and do my own thing and believe in myself. Whoa, Felicia. <laughs> <laughs> um, where did that kind of foresight come from? I mean, I would love to say that I was some swami and I could see where the world was going, but I honestly (laughs) just was so unfulfilled for so many years about being like second. I mean, I was second choice for so many pilots and so many projects, and they would hire a redhead girl who just looked slightly (laughs) prettier. Me with a nose job would get the job. And I was like, is it? And I would have panic attacks, like severe panic attacks when I auditioned. I remember my last audition um, before I really kind of set it aside to just concentrate on the internet stuff was for a show where I uh, tested against Melissa McCarthy and an Asian girl. And so it was us three. It was this show called Samantha Who, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. You remember that show? Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, I went to network for that. And I always go to network two, three times. And I would always just kind of choke at the end. And I just uh-huh. want to be honest, like it, it's a horrible circumstance. It's horrible. Just to tell everyone, I mean, there's a group of people auditioning. Well, first you go through this yeah. whole audition process. Yeah, yeah you, you go audition. through four or five. Four yeah. or five yeah. auditions. First it's the studio test. Well, first yes. it's the casting directors, then it's yeah. the producers, then you probably have to come back to see the producers yes. again. Then, like, you narrow a group down, mm-hmm. five people maybe, to go to the studio. Then you narrow it down again to, to go to three. the network. Right, so you've been, three, yeah. like, you've run the gamut at this point. And this is a two or three page scene, you guys. Like, it's yeah. Not like, you know, you're doing new material every time. Right. There's anything spontaneous about it. You're literally just doing the same scene over and over in more and more tense circumstances. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. the pressure that your own people put on you, like, yeah. you know. And so <laughs> I got to network and I literally had a panic attack where I was out of my body. And there was a whole long monologue. Oh, jeez. And I choked so bad and I walked out and I just wanted to die like in a in a a very real i was just sobbing for weeks and you know i have anxiety problems and i've worked a lot on them in the last couple years so i feel a lot more functional and i have a lot more self um resilience inside that i can withstand you know failures a little bit better but at the time i was just like i cracked and it was terrible and so i was like i can't do this i can't do this i'm out and so i just kind of stopped auditioning because the guild was taking off at that time and i was going Back and forth between doing something really fulfilling and then really, really horrible. 
And I was like, why do I keep doing this? I keep going back to this well when I have this other well that feels so great and I'm making a living. It's fine. So that's when I kind of like shut the door on the Hollywood thing for a couple of years. And then I just did my web stuff. Mm-hmm. So for any of our listeners who don't know about the Guild, um, which everyone should watch because it's fantastic, explain sort of how that came about and what it is. Yeah. Um, because it's a phenomenon. I was going to say, um, it all started with a women's support group, which sounds really dorky. <laughs> so I was taking sketch writing and um, this woman, Kim Evie, was my teacher. And she and I really hit it off. And I saw her like a year later and she's like, hey, let's just go to lunch. And over lunch, she said, well, I've joined the support group of women in Hollywood that once a week we're going to have breakfast and we're going to share our wins and our losses and just kind of support each other getting to the next level of our careers. And this went on for about a year, but I would show up and I would be like, I just play video game this week because I became (laughs) massively addicted to this game called World of Warcraft, which was huge at the time. It's a, a multiplayer, massively multiplayer online role-playing game where you're playing with like dozens of other people and you log on and they're you're the same people all the time. You're just playing this game. And it's amazing. It was amazing. It was another world. And I was trying to escape my real world and right. try to get to yeah. a world that made me feel good, which was not making me feel good, but I, it was like a superficial Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. So finally, I felt so guilty because I even started lying to these ladies about what I was doing that week that I quit cold turkey and I wrote this half hour script that they encouraged me to do. And my boyfriend has also encouraged me to write something. And uh, they say, write what you know. So I was like, well, I'll write something about gamers because I know that world and I don't see it out there. And it's a role that I could play because it was almost biographical about this girl who was basically trapped in the video game and only by sort of reaching her hand out and meeting the people in real life that she was playing every day with that she became um, happier. And so that happened. I wrote it as a half-hour pilot. Nobody who read it was like, they didn't know what I was talking about. This was like 2006. (laughs) Uh They didn't understand video could be online. Like, this is the year after YouTube start. Nobody nobody even watched video online. So nobody wanted to do anything with the script. And Kim read it and was like, well, I just did a sketch that I wrote and I filmed it and we put it on this thing called YouTube. And it's brand new, and it went viral, and David Spade put it on a show, and she got a deal with Sony to do more, and she was like, well, this might be the place to do this because gamers are online. And I was like, I was so scared, but because her and the director, Jane, were part of the group, I was like, okay, let's do it. We'll just do the first 10 pages, and we did it for hundreds of dollars in our houses, and... That's really how everything started, and it really took off because I uploaded it, and I had been using the internet since I was like 10, mm-hmm. before the internet started, and I was just determined that everyone was going to see this magnificent piece of art that yes. I made. Like, so I was just online 24 hours a day for so much, so long, and then it started you know, getting momentum and p- being picked up, and then... Wow. I mean, a lot more steps happen, but uh, that's kind of how six years of my life happened. <laughs> wow. What I love is we talk a lot about making your vice a virtue. Yeah. Um, and you definitely did that, turning your World of Warcraft addiction into, like, the thing that made your career. That's a good adage. I need to turn that into something else now yeah. because I got some more vices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Pick a vice. <laughs> Buy, buying baby clothes. Twist yes. it around. Yes. Buying yeah, baby clothes. There you go. Terrible. Oh. Right. Um, so I picked out this little section of your book. Do you mind reading this? Because I think it's gold for anyone pursuing literally any creative endeavor. I highlighted it. Oh, well, you did? Thank it's, you. It's oh, my gosh. right there. Okay. Oh, this, uh, this is one of my favorite things I wrote here. Okay. If ideas flow out of you easily like a chocolate fountain, bless you, and skip to the next chapter. But if you're someone like me who longs to create but finds the process agonizing, here's my advice. Find a group to support you, to encourage you, to guilt you into doing. If you can't find one, just start one yourself. Random people enjoy having pancakes. (laughs) 
Make a goal, then strike down things that are distracting you from that goal, especially video games. Unless it's this book, finish reading it and then start. Put the fear of God into yourself. Okay, I'm not religious. Whatever spiritual ideas float up in your boat. Read some obituaries. Watch the first 15 minutes of Up. I don't care. Just scare yourself good. You have a finite number of toothpaste tubes you will ever consume while on this planet. Make the most of that clean tooth time for yourself. <laughs> I love that. I love that, too. I mean, I, it's such good advice for people who are trying to have I mean, any kind of creative ambition. It's like, do that. Do those things. I mean, it's not easy. And I think no. if you notice, there's a lot of fear underneath that. Because it's not like, oh, it's just oovy groovy, everyone. Like, no, there's an underlying sense of terror in everything I write and yeah. everything I do because of my, you know, anxiety disorder or a lot of the ways I was raised. And just, um, I guess my vice became my virtue in that, that my anxiety got me to be very anxious about looking forward in way too an aggressive manner. But it, it, it served me well in certain ways. <laughs> And how have you dealt with your anxiety? Because you write about that. And I think a lot of people suffer anxiety. I have anxiety not, I think, to the extent you're talking about, but I definitely feel like it's a dominant sort of factor in life. What have you done that's helped? Well, I think writing this book really helped. I mean, before that, I did um, – I went. I think I talk about it a little bit in the book. I went to a life coach, which was me, my way of not admitting that I really had a problem, so I didn't go to right. therapy. Totally. But the life coach was really cool, and she told me some amazing things like, you know, you're a tree and you have too many branches. Just cut the branches off that don't serve your tree. And I was like, I still have that thing that she drew for me because it was true. I had a lot of things, especially, you know, when I got into the business world that I was doing that I didn't love. And I was desperate to keep going for no reason other than that it was there in a, in a non-functional way. And so when I started, like, you know, paring back on the things that were draining me that I didn't enjoy, my life became a lot better. So that did help. And then she wanted to do some regression technique. And I was like, mm. I don't want to walk around like a baby. So <laughs> then I went to actual therapy for a couple of years. And really the best thing was I just was like, my body's trying to tell me something when you're so anxious. You're putting yourself in positions that you really don't want to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that my brain is really powerful and drives my body into things that it doesn't feel comfortable doing, but it intellectually says I need to do that. And therefore, I just started honoring my body a little bit more. And that doesn't mean not, not doing challenging things. Right. It just means approaching things in a way. And then if it really... I can't rationalize it in an organic way that it's good for my heart, then I just don't do it anymore. And, um, you know, you don't have to do everything in this world. You don't have to do anything, really. You just mm -hmm. have to make a living and survive. Yeah. And so doing things that feed you and don't um, make your body self-destruct, I think, is probably a better way of doing things. Well, and I can tell you what I admire about you, and I think I speak for Liz, is that you have found such a powerful way to create what you want for yourself in your life here in Hollywood or elsewhere. and. We think that's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah everyone, no matter where you live, yeah. can follow this path of doing your own thing and making it work for you. Um, I mean, honestly, and, it's, I'm sorry. I think about. I think about like, oh, you could live in Spain. You could just stream video games and make videos and have a podcast and do all these things that you actually <laughs> really love and want to get up and do every day. Yeah. Or, um, but there's, you know, 
there are things to be said for working with amazing, talented people and learning from them and working on a bigger infrastructure. So I'm not ready to retire yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I loved. You, one, in one of the other things you wrote in your book, you have like a list of a handwritten list of things to do when you kind of dive in again. Yeah. And the first thing is like find people who are great at the things that I'm not great at and let them mm-hmm. do their thing. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's super always, important. Yeah. yeah. It's delegation, I think. And just surrounding yourself with people who improve you. There's oh, You can learn from everybody. You know, even a PA or a child. My baby teaches me things yeah. about the world. And yes. if you're open to that, I mean, during one of the things when I really, a couple of years ago, when I really was like, I got to work on myself, I just stopped doing everything I didn't like, which was mostly hosting and, and all that stuff. And I went back and took class. I took improv class. I took a stand-up class. I took a writing class. And I just came at everything as a student. And I, you know, I knew some stuff. But I I picked up everything. And I think whenever I see somebody in crisis and they're unhappy, I'm like, become a student again at what Mm. you do um, or become a student at something new and you will find, you know, that thing that drives you again. Felicia, thank you so much. It's been awesome to have you here today. Thank you, guys. I mean, I admire you guys so much, especially as women show running in this world. Like, we need you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Um, Felicia's memoir is You're Never Weird on the Internet. Almost. Yes. (laughs) Uh, You can find her on Twitter at Felicia Day and see what she's up to on her website, FeliciaDay.com. Okay, so this week's Hollywood hack comes from Celia Finkelstein, who is one of the writers on For the People. She's been an actress for several years on such shows as NCIS LA, the movie Horrible Bosses, um, American Horror Story. Um, So the Hollywood hack from Celia is keep clothes in your car. Yes. She was telling us this because we were talking about how she used to be an actress and she still acts, but she's transitioned to being a TV writer now. And she said she doesn't keep as many clothes in her car as she did when she was an actress, but she still does keep some clothes in her car. And we thought this was fascinating. Um, And when she was an actress, she said she would have an outfit for sort of any kind of audition that might come up. So... A business suit, a sundress. A bikini. A bikini. Um, She has tattoos, so she had, like, cardigans that could hide her tattoos if need be. And we're saying this is something, like, especially those of us who drive around a lot. If you're in New York, you're obviously not going to keep clothes in your car. (laughs) But for those of us who do have our cars with us, it is good to have just a little something to change into if you need to. Right. Just in case there's an emergency, because, you know, I'm obsessed with emergencies. Yes. So I have a change of clothes in my car. Uh, Boafa was saying she keeps a change of clothes in her car. You never know if you're going to spill something in the middle of the day and want to put on a different shirt. Yeah. And sometimes it's like you might be invited to something and think, oh, well, I would go, except I don't have like a nice black shirt or something, you know, just to change into. So if you have just something that's like a little bit elevated, it gives you a lot more freedom. Right. And just like an extra pair of shoes, put some like strappy sandals and a black shirt in your car. Yeah. And you're prepared. Yeah. And I do, Sarah, even though, you know, I'm not as crazy about being prepared for emergencies as you are, (laughs) I do have an extra pair of sneakers in my car. Good. That's that's comforting to me. Yes. 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 (laughs) So, you know, keep clothes in your car, everybody. You never know what might come up. You want to be prepared. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Thanks for listening. And please subscribe if you haven't already. And if you like the podcast, give us a review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps listeners find us. If you have any suggestions on managing a hellish commute, let us know. And what podcasts do you listen to? 
Or if you have any pressing questions about life in Hollywood, leave us a voicemail at 949-HAPPY21 or email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thank you so much to Felicia Day for coming by today and for bringing her baby Calliope. <laughs> thanks to our producer, Jennifer Lai. Also, thanks to Kristen Meinzer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Twitter at Sarah M. Fain and Liz is at Elizabeth Craft. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Craft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Pillbutt is not a person. What is she? She's not. She's not a person. She's a pony. Well, she can talk, right? Do you want? What do you want me to ask her? Is she a pony, though? Yeah. Is she a pony in this life? No, in this life, she's a person.